You measure a society by the status of the lowest people. So if you're living in a society in which there are people who still don't have houses and still don't have access to clean water and sanitation, that is the measure of how advanced your society is. Welcome to the Wash Works podcast, where we're asking just exactly how vital water, sanitation and hygiene, aka wash, is to the everyday lives of billions of people around the world. Something as basic as not having access to clean water can affect people's health. It can decide whether girls can go to school and it has an impact on people's livelihoods too. WASH has its own Sustainable Development Goal, SDG 6, and on this podcast we'll be exploring how it connects to the other 16 SDGs as part of the broader Sustainable Development Agenda. I'm Amruta Bhatnal and I'm an Associate Editor at DevEx. I also co-write Checkup, a global health newsletter. I'm based in New Delhi and I'm interested in the intersections of different sectors in development. So on this podcast, I'll be doing what I do best, ask questions to Rebecca. And I'm Rebecca Root, a reporter with DevX, and I've been covering the WASH beat for about three years now. And throughout my reporting, I've learned that WASH is a far more nuanced topic than it perhaps seems. And so I wanted to find out more about both big picture efforts and local solutions and how they're connected. So throughout this series, we'll be hearing about what's happening at a global level to meet SDG 6, and we'll be exploring what local initiatives there are that others might learn a thing or two from. We'll be talking to people from Kampala to Kabul, looking at small-scale solutions that can help us better understand how to make progress on a larger scale. So let's take a step back, Rebecca. Why are we specifically focusing on WASH and why now? Well, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has really shone a spotlight on the critical importance of sanitation, hygiene and adequate access to clean water for preventing and and containing diseases like COVID-19, but other illnesses as well. According to the World Health Organization, hand washing is one of the most effective actions to reduce the spread of pathogens and prevent infections. But yet still around the world, 3 billion people don't have access to a hand washing facility with soap. 2.2 billion people don't have access to clean water. And one in four hospitals, half of schools, they don't have basic wash facilities either. 3 billion is a lot of people. We're talking about a huge challenge here. And I'm looking forward to all the conversations that we'll have on the podcast. So, Rebecca, tell us, what are we focusing on first? So for our first episode, we're looking at wash and gender equality. Now, poor access to a toilet or clean water has devastating effects for everyone, but how does it disproportionately impact women? Does a lack of wash hamper efforts to achieve gender equality? Well, to set the scene for us on a global level, I sat down with Barbara Schreiner, who is the executive director of the Water Integrity Network, which looks at corruption in the water space. And I wanted to find out from her how WASH disproportionately impacts women and girls and what needs to be done to just better protect them. One of the things that we see in a number of ways around the world is that collection, and it's it's across many, many countries on different continents, collection of water is very often the responsibility of women and girl children. Where water services are not uh, provided, you see women having to walk and girl children having to walk long distances to go and collect water. And the, the implications of that are, are, are many. 
One is that time is taken out of their day from other things that they might be doing, whether that's learning or uh, undertaking an economic activity or just actually having leisure time and being able to relax and enjoy themselves. There are physical side effects of people, of women and girl children in particular, walking long distances with heavy buckets either balanced on their head or, or over their shoulders or, or whatever. Um, there are physical problems associated. But the other thing that you see, particularly in, in urban areas, is that where women have to walk some distance to collect water or to access sanitation facilities, they are particularly vulnerable to uh, physical and sexual abuse um, on the way. So that you, you see that the, the lack of provision of water and sanitation services directly intersects with, with gender-based violence against women and, and girl children and makes them a whole lot more vulnerable. The other thing just to say is that where you have, for example, communal sanitation or shared sanitation facilities being provided, very often keeping those clean is the, the job of, of women as well. Um, shared uh, toilet facilities are notoriously uh, problematic in keeping clean, and there's a whole health hazard involved for, for, for women um, in terms of, of keeping those clean. And then there's one last thing that I want to mention. It's a really serious issue, which is that Women, because of pregnancy and, and menstruation, have particular needs for hygiene, uh, for sanitation, and for being able to wash. And where those aren't provided, there are huge problems. You see girls not going to school uh, during their period because the, the facilities at the school aren't appropriate for them when, they, when they're menstruating. So every, every month for a couple of days, they're not in school, which means that, that their ability to learn is, is, is lower. But you also see that with pregnant women, and pregnant women often need to, to, to wee more often than non-pregnant women. Um, but because of the fear of going to uh, use toilet facilities at some distance, um, they actually don't use the toilet facilities. Uh, and they, in, in some cases, women don't drink enough water in order to avoid having to, to wee at night. Uh, so they end up dehydrated in order to try and protect themselves from having to use unsafe facilities uh, during pregnancy. So there are all sorts of, of problems that go with it that impact on, on, on women and girl children. And then just to bring the integrity lens into it as well, how do the issues of corruption play out in the water and sanitation and hygiene sector and how do those then impact women and girls? Um, yeah, in, in, in many ways. One of, the, one of the challenges is that where you have, for example, Corruption in, in procurement processes and money is getting siphoned off or the cost of a piece of infrastructure that's being delivered is hugely higher than it should have been. Uh, it actually prevents resources being available for provision of services to other people. So, for example, I'll give you an example from, from South Africa. There was a pipeline that was meant to serve 55 villages in, in Limpopo province, which is a rural province in South Africa. Um, and it was going to cost, I think, in the region of five or six hundred million rands. Seven years later, it had escalated to three billion rands and it still wasn't complete. What that means is that that extra 2.5 billion rands, um, and it's about 15 rand to the dollar, uh, has now been taken away from the possibility of delivering, delivering services to anybody else. Um, and that was a problem of corruption. Uh, so a whole lot of people are not getting water, and then because they're not getting water, you get the, the disadvantages that I've just been talking about that, that impact on, on women, on poor women 
and girl children in, in particular. But at the other end of the scale, you get corruption at the interface between uh, government officials and communities, uh, community members. And quite often you will see that people are having to pay a bribe in order to get a service that they should be entitled to. Like you won't get water in your area unless you're actually paying a bribe. You don't get a household connection unless you're actually paying a bribe. And for, for women who might not necessarily have the money to pay for it, you know, quite often to pay that bribe, it's a choice between school clothes or the bribe, food or the bribe, um, that, that they are either choosing to or they are coerced into actually providing uh, sex or sexually related uh, services uh, instead of a bribe. And that's what we call sextortion. And that has all sorts of uh, associated side effects, the same associated side effects that you have with, with gender-based violence, where you get unwanted pregnancies, you get trauma for the people involved, uh, you get sexually transmitted diseases, um, etc. And one of the challenges is that it's not widely recognized as a form of corruption, partly because no money is changing hands. It's also, it's not necessarily physically coerced. So it's not really recognized and taken up by the gender-based violence groups. And so it kind of falls between the two cracks and it's an area where there needs to be work done because it's impacting on, on the most vulnerable women uh, in particular. And so that's a kind of whole multitude of problems that affect women and girls just from not having access to WASH facilities. Is the answer then simply make sure everybody's got access? And if that is the answer, what's the barrier to doing that? Because it seems like such a quick fix. Uh, that's the million dollar question you just asked me that people in the water sector have been struggling over for, 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 for decades. I wish I had a, a, a plug and play answer to that. But, but yes, I mean, uh, providing water, uh, it's not the whole answer because it's not going to do away with discrimination against women and gender based violence and all sorts of things around the world. But it will make women's lives uh, uh, enormously easier. I mean, the, the provision of water and decent water and sanitation services will be benefit women and girl children. Um, more than it benefits uh, men. Um, so absolutely, that that should be, and that is the aim. I think there are a number of things that that that, that hold it back. Um, one is is sufficient finances, particularly in 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 poor countries. At the moment, the figures are in order to meet new services for um, SDG 6.1 and 6.2, which is provision of water. Uh, and provision of sanitation to those who are currently unserved is $114 billion a year. Uh, that's quite a chunk of change, and it isn't all there. So there's a question of where is the money going to, to come from? That's one thing it's holding back. In a number of developing countries, there are there is a, a serious lack of capacity. Um, there aren't necessarily the engineers, the scientists, the technical people, and, and government doesn't have massive resources, particularly in in the least developed countries in order to actually deliver. Corruption is playing a part in it, so that the resources that are there are not well, well used. But I also think that in some respects, political economy influences it in the sense that the most marginalized aren't necessarily powerful groups that are going to be able to sway where the money goes to, etc. Um, we've been doing some work around looking at informal settlements um, if you look at, at, at cities around the world, you're looking at growing informal settlements, you're looking at increasing migration into cities, and a lot of the people in developing countries are ending up in informal settlements. Um, 
And there's a lot of talk about how difficult it is to provide services in informal settlements. Maybe the land doesn't belong to the, the, the state or whatever, it's privately owned land. But actually, um, I'm firmly convinced that if there was a real desire to provide uh, water to people in informal settlements, it could be done. It can be done. We know it can be done. We know there are there ways of, of, of doing it if the commitment is really there. But what you see is, is a, a sense of people in informal settlement, they're illegal settlements, the people in the settlement are illegal. Um, and so there isn't a passionate commitment in many places to actually provide water to the it's it's there. I'm being I'm being brutal, but I think it's there in the in the in the, the speeches and the policy, but I don't think it's necessarily there in the commitment on the ground. And so how do we change that? I mean, I think we need to to rethink how we see communities that they're agents of their own change and engage with them as partners in the process. Um, and that includes very much engaging with women um, uh, who I think are very strong agents for change. In some places, that might mean that you need to engage with women separately from men to enable them, because there are still many places in this world where if you hold a joint meeting of women and men, uh, the women won't necessarily speak with any sense of comfort. Uh, so it may be that you need to have specific uh, separate sessions with women to find out solutions and find and work with the communities themselves to find the solutions that will be sustainable and will, will work. I think that 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 those of us who are in the water sector need to keep pushing this 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 issue, and I think communities themselves have to find ways to organise and to to mobilise. And ultimately, I guess if that's not being listened to, communities need to take to the streets. If that's what's going to be be listened to, you know, I think I think it was Mandela, um, but I may be wrong. Was talking about you know you you measure a society by the status of the lowest people not by the status of the highest. So if you're living in a society in which there are people who still don't have houses and still don't have access to clean water and sanitation, that is the measure of how advanced your society is, not the fact that there might be people who are living in, 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 in mansions and have everything. Until everybody uh, has the basics, you cannot say that you're actually a, a just society. And that, for me, is a critical measure that we need to understand. And are there any kind of um, top tips or recommendations that the Water Integrity Network has for um, engaging policymakers, decision makers when it comes to advocating for change in the wash space? I think one of the things is that, that quite often you need to engage with people on the basis of what the particular conditions are in a particular area. I think one of the things for, for, for win out of our experience is that actually it takes time to build a relationship of trust. Uh, and once you build that relationship relationship of trust, it's then much easier to talk to policymakers um, about what some of the challenges are. Um, I think there are particular challenges around northern-based NGOs, um, and and when, like many other NGOs, although most of our staff are, many of our staff are from the south, um, and we do a lot of our work in the south, we're actually based in the north. I think there are huge challenges around how you wander into uh, countries of the global south and say, you know, there are, there are problems. There are problems of corruption and integrity. It's a terribly sensitive issue. Um, and and without, without having built relationships of, of trust, um, I think it's quite a challenge about how you, how you, how you go about it. 
Thank you. And finally, would you have a, a message or any thoughts on how WASH does intersect with a multitude of other issues and maybe gender in particular? Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the the, the SDGs, there are seventeen SDGs, and pretty much all of them are actually dependent on access to water, not just WASH, but access to water more generally. Um, and I know that that I come with a particular bias because I work in the in the in the water sector. But honestly, without uh, availability of of water and decent sanitation, you don't achieve the the goal on no poverty. You don't achieve the the gender goal. You don't achieve the the goal of no hunger. You don't achieve the goal of economic development. If you don't have good sanitation, you have people missing work because they're ill. Uh, so so honestly, water and sanitation underpin most of the SDGs. And so I think it's an absolutely critical issue that we have to get right. Sextortion, corruption, not being able to go to school. It's amazing to see how just that initial inaccess to wash can really play out through a woman's lifespan. Yeah, I know, it really is. And I, I know I've covered reports before that say women often feel pressured to flirt or play along with utility workers because they fear then if they don't, their, their water connection will be cut off. And last year, an interviewee told me that COVID-19 has only made the situation worse because obviously water has become even more critical, but the ability to afford water has been put at risk thanks to job losses. That's true, that does paint a grim picture, but it was nice to hear that Barbara has some hope going forward that things might change. And I like that point she said about involving women, especially young girls and the number of, you know, them leading the change, right? One organization doing just that is Smart Girls Foundation Uganda. It's a social enterprise that started in 2012 and helps girls in rural areas to manage their menstruation, mainly by providing reusable pads and then training the girls how to make the pads themselves. One of its initiatives, Smart Bags, could be seen as a potential solution for scale-up, and so we spoke to the CEO of Smart Girls, Jamila Mayanja, to find out more about Smart Bags and how they might be tackling both wash and inequality. At Smart Girls, we empower girls and women to live a healthy and economically sustainable lifestyle. We do that in um, different programs, um, but one of our biggest programs is, is the Smart Bags for Girls, um, where we try and help young girls who literally miss eight days of school because they're in their menstruation period. And this is because they lack what to use during their menstruation period, or they do not have convenience if they've been given usable pads to use them while at school, or they don't have access to water. And um, the Smart Bags for Girls uh, is uh, an innovation I innovated to try and make sure girls, young girls stay in school despite them being in their messes and they're healthy and um, well sanitized during their menses, menstruation periods. We make these bugs through our other program called the Girls with Tools, where we train girls in male-dominated skill sets, but those some, we also add tailoring. So we, um, we give work to young women in slum areas who are survivors of gender-based violence, um, who are um, getting out of um, sex work. So we give employment to those women. So the bugs are made by women for the girls in school. We make sure when we're giving out the bugs, how the bug is designed, we recycle plastic to make it waterproof 
we, it has a component where the girls, the young girls can carry their unused reusable pads. And when they are moving, when they get to school and they don't have access to water or they don't have where to dispose, maybe at the disposal pads, or they don't have water where to wash the um, reusable pads, there's a dry component where they can carry these pads um, back home um, so that they can be able to conveniently um, wash them and be in full hygiene. Um, with that same bag, we add a solar panel that if they're leaving very early to school, the solar panel charges a light, a detachable light that lights them on their way to, to school. And even when they get back home, because there's a lot of load shedding in rural areas, um, electricity shedding, the solar helps charge that light to help them read their books at night. But also, most importantly, because most of these girls have their toilets detached from their homes, so at night they use that light to um, try and get to the uh, washrooms at night so that they don't get assaulted or anything but be safe during their periods and even without their periods great it sounds like such a good idea how did you come up with it i started an event called the father daughter dance when i had just quit my job and i was using the event to try and um solve gender-based violence in that way um, by creating the bond of the fathers and their daughters. And in return, I also was fundraising for money um, to buy reusable pads um, I would give to the girls. And the event went for three years and it was very successful. We gave the young girls uh, reusable pads. But after when we went back after two years, after the five years of the event, and also giving out the reusable pads to all girls. We noticed still there were some girls who are still staying out of school. And despite us giving them reusable pads and despite of our other partners giving them reusable pads. And the issue was these girls, by the time they couldn't afford the reusable pads, they couldn't afford as simple as a, a carry-on bag or um, where to carry these pads. If they were able still to carry those pads to school, since most of these toilets don't have good wash facilities or sometimes they share wash, wash facilities with their boys. So the reusable pads had become an inconvenience for them to use them at school. So we first innovated like a cloth bag where it could help, uh, that could help them carry those pads. We went back to test and get feedback if it was working for them. It was working moderately, um, but still Uganda being a rainy season, um, when they would put content in their bag and they would walk to school, um, and it rained, all the content would get wet. That's how later on we modified the prototype of the bag to make it very plastic and waterproof, but not really just by plastic, but to look for plastic that was in um, within um, the slum areas next to our offices, and that would help us also pay more other slum women um, a little bit of employment if they would collect for us that plastic waste. This worked so well, so we had um, just a recycled smart bag. So the innovation of smart bag and its improvement on the prototype has been um, through series of um, testing and feedback between the, the girls that have been impacted and the users um, of those of, who buy from us um, to give out the bags for free. And how many girls have you managed to reach with a smart bag? Currently, right now, we've been able to reach uh, more than 10,000 girls in Uganda, but specifically like last year, this year, early this year, we started to reach out also to refugee girls. We've been able to specifically reach 1,500 girls. 
and with the help of um, of the Duke uh, UNICEF Accelerator, we've expanded to the northern part of Uganda. That's great. And, and do you have plans to expand outside of Uganda? Yes, we have plans and we're excited because we're going to expand to South Africa and later to Tanzania. And this has been in huge guidance by the Duke and UNICEF Accelerator that have been given us the mentorship and the tools to know how to scale up um, our impact um, and um, our innovation to different parts in Uganda, uh, outside Uganda, sorry. And what kind of support would you say you need to help you to scale the smart bag? What we need to scale this bag, we need, of course, um, strategic affiliations in both those countries. Of course, we need funds because um, being a social um, venture, as much as our business, our, our business model is we make we make a bag we sell and each bag we sell, we make another, we give out for free. But since we are going to a new countries, we're looking for funds to try and able to establish ourselves in those countries, but also most importantly to, um, to work with strategic partners that can help us um, be able to sell those bags within South Africa and Tanzania and return with each bag we sell in those countries, we make another, we give out for free um, in, um, in Uganda. Great. And, and finally, uh, this particular episode is about how water, sanitation and hygiene kind of intersects with, with gender equality and women and girls' rights. How do you see those two issues intersecting? Um, those things intersect so much because even just we see the smart bag, as much as we're deal, dealing with uh, menstrual, menstrual um, sanitation and hygiene, you will see how the gender issues are quite relatable here because in Uganda here, when girls go to fetch water, the first people to supposed to use the, the water is, are supposed to be the boys because they're the ones who are supposed to go to school first before the girls. And yet, ideally, when you think about it at the time of the month in the menstruation period, a girl needs to be fully in high, high hygienic mode and yet she's the one who gets droplets of that water. And when it comes to um, wash facilities in school, the toilets of young of women has to be have to have more access to water. It ceases to be a huge problem for young girls here in Uganda, access to water, and mostly when they really need need that water during their menstruation period. That is such a great idea. It really shows the importance of designing with communities and how this one specific challenge can impact many different areas of a girl's life, like access to education, breaking down stigma and ensuring their safety. Yeah, well, hopefully others can learn from Jamila's work, but of course, I'm sure that's just one of many local solutions out there that are improving these dual issues of gender equality and then wash access. Definitely, and I'd encourage our listeners to let us know other innovative solutions that they're hearing about. Of course, all those big calls to action around increased funding and political will are important, but it's also helpful to hear of local tailor-made solutions having an impact. Yep, you can let us know on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the hashtag WashWorks or you can visit our broader WashWorks series which you'll find at washworks.devx.com But that is it for this episode. We will be back in two weeks' time though with a look at wash and health. So thank you for listening.